1. On November the 22nd, 1963, John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States, was shot as his cavalcade drove along Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. 2. On December the 19th, 1991, Oliver Stone, an eight-time nominated, triple Oscar-winning Hollywood writer, producer and director, released a motion picture that aimed to test the findings of the Warren Commission, the body set up to investigate Kennedy's assassination. Those are the only two certainties. Beyond that, it's really just opinion. Oh man, why don't you fucking stop it? Shit, who did... This is too fucking big for you, you know that? This is... Who did the president? Who killed Ken? Fuck, man! It's, it's a mystery! It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma! The fucking shooters don't even know, don't you get it? Fuck, man! And so this piece will not contest the many truths, untruths, lies, half-lies, speculations and hypotheses Oliver Stone sets up or shoots down in his blistering three-hour masterpiece, JFK. Instead, we will examine how Stone expanded the form of cinema in a way not seen in American film since Orson Welles' Citizen Kane. This approach has been chosen because when the film was initially released 22 years ago, the reviews were predominantly politically motivated, with the right-wing media claiming Stone had made a film that bordered on treason, while the left castigated Stone for not going far enough in using the assassination as a tool with which to bash the combined Ronald Reagan and George Bush administrations. Here. I'm Oswald. Time me. Go. Time? Between six, seven seconds. And that's without really aiming. Key is the second and third shots came almost right on top of each other. It takes a minimum 2.3 seconds to recycle this thing. The other problem is there was a tree there blocking the first two shots. By the time they occurred, there's a Pruder film. Didn't J. Edgar Hoover say something about that? Leaves it falling off in November? It was a Texas live oak, Chief. It sheds its leaves the first week of March. Although in an ideological sense, it should have been clear to everyone what Oliver Stone's aims were, in a cinematic sense, very few, if any, were bothered or even equipped to discuss what he was doing. Even Vincent Canby of the New York Times, one of America's most regarded critics, missed the point when he wrote, the film's insurmountable problem is the vast amount of material it fails to make coherent sense of. It is hard to imagine the political and media firestorm that occurred during the making of JFK. Political talk shows and current affairs programmes across the spectrum felt it legitimate to surreptitiously secure copies of the script and review that as though it were the completed film. Which should tell you everything you need to know about how little those people know about filmmaking. I can't quite think of a perfect analogy, but it just might be the equivalent of writing up a review of a restaurant solely on the basis of neither the meal, the menu, nor even the recipe, but solely the ingredients for the dinner. 
The difference between words written on a page and the tastes of a dish is as far from the culinary experience as a script is from the sounds and images interplaying on a cinema screen. Not to labour the point, but many so-called critics failed to take into account such elements as performance, sound, colour, framing, lighting, music and editing. In other words, pretty much everything that goes into making a movie. I'll go you one better, Bill. Maybe Oswald didn't even pull the trigger. Nitrate tests indicate he hadn't even fired a rifle on November 22nd. And on top of that, they didn't even bother to see if the rifle had been fired that day. He had his palm print on the weapon. Well, it went to the FBI, Bill. The FBI didn't find a goddamn thing. It comes back a week later, and one guy in the Dallas Police Department suddenly finds a palm print. For all we know, it could have been taken off Oswald in the morgue. There's no chain of evidence. I never could figure out why this guy orders a traceable weapon to this post office box when he can go into any store in Texas, give a phony name, and walk out with a rifle which can never be traced. Stone did not set out to deliver a definitive explanation of the Kennedy assassination. Instead, he repeatedly said his aim was to present a counter-myth. And as we know, a myth is not the truth, but rather a thing of fiction that contains a profound truth. So to understand the film and how it operates, we need to examine the different styles and techniques used in the film. For starters, Stone and cinematographer Robert Richardson decided the film should be in both colour and black and white. In so doing, they never settled into a familiar look so typical of historical pictures such as Lawrence of Arabia, Gandhi or Amadeus. Instead, Stone's images jumped back and forth between colour and monochrome, constantly challenging the eyes of the audience. In that way, Stone and Richardson did not fall foul of the trap that snares so many films set in the past. Warm, nostalgic images prompting the viewer to say, wow, doesn't this look beautiful? Stone was not aiming for beauty, and he was not aiming to uncover the truth either. His aim was agitation. He needed to stir, rouse and incite, because with a running time of over three hours, he knew he was running the risk of boring the audience. We had the entire cabinet on a trip to the Far East. We had one-third of a combat division returning from Germany in the air above the United States at the time of the shooting. At 12.34 p.m., the entire telephone system went out in Washington for a solid hour. And on the plane back to Washington, word was radioed from the White House Situations Room to Lyndon Johnson that one individual performed the assassination. Does that sound like a bunch of coincidences to you, Mr. Garrison? Not wanting to stop there, Stone and Richardson then used a variety of film stocks, 35mm, 16 and Super 8, as well as television footage, that further agitate and disturb the image. But most disturbing of all, Stone secured permission to use the actual footage of Kennedy's death, as captured on 8mm by Abraham Zabruder. This is the key shot. The president going back and to his left from the front and right. Totally inconsistent with the shot from the depository. Again, back to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. I will never forget the first time I saw that film. 
A man's head is blown apart right before your eyes. The chilling hush that fell on the audience is one of the most intense filmic moments I've ever experienced. But Stone and Richardson made sure that they did not codify the formats to suggest colour meant the present and black and white meant flashbacks, 16 mil for lies, 35 mil for truth, etc. No, Stone and Richardson mixed and matched them in an arbitrary manner to keep the pictures fluid and vital. In all, 14 different types of film stocks and formats were used, and the way Richardson kept control of them all earned him the Oscar for Best Cinematography. Next came the editing, for which Stone called in Joe Hutching and Pietro Scalia to wade through the mountain of footage Richardson had shot. Now, this was before the switch to digital editing, where everything is done on computer. Back in 1991, Hutching and Scalia had to deal with actual celluloid and manually splice and gel all the shots together. There are over 3,000 separate shots in the film, which is twice as many as the average Hollywood film from the time. More than that, Hutching and Scalia had only five months between the time production wrapped and the release date to cut a three-hour film. What they delivered is easily one of the most important, groundbreaking and influential achievements in the history of film editing. It's as simple as this. Hutchings and Scalia's work marked a profound shift in the motivation for cutting. Traditionally, a cut is prompted by movement within the frame, or sounds that emanates from off-frame. In other words, the content carries the story. But by the time Hutching and Scalia were finished, it was their editing rhythm that conveyed the story's content. The cutting rate in the film was incredibly fast, and part of the reason for the speed of the shots is because Stone was developing a new editing style called vertical editing, in which a scene would be interrupted by a quick cut to a different film stock and lighting style to add new information or show what the character really feels about that information. And because of that style, despite all the mountains of information that avalanche down upon you, you are never confused as to what is going on right now. Puzzling, yes, but the overall intention is clear. Fittingly, Hutching and Scalia won the Oscar for Best Editing that year. Why all the film stocks, formats and new editing style? To debunk the Moran Commission, Stone needed a new cinematic grammar and vocabulary to present his counter-myth. With all the information presented in the film, had Stone done it in the conventional way, like Lawrence of Arabia, Gandhi or Amadeus, JFK would probably have run to six hours. Now you may not agree with Oliver Stone's view of history, or even his political beliefs, but one thing that you cannot deny is his enormous contribution to, and command of, cinema's language. But his influence goes beyond that. After Stone held a screening to the Joint Houses on Capitol Hill in Washington, the US Congress passed the JFK Records Act which released a comprehensive collection of records on JFK's assassination, including those previously withheld by the federal government in the interest of national security. You know, going back to when we were children, I think that most of us in this courtroom thought that justice came into being automatically, that virtue was its own reward, that, that good would triumph over evil. But as we get older, we know this just isn't true. 
individual human beings have to create justice. And this is not easy. Because the truth often poses a threat to power. And one often has to fight power at great risk to themselves. 